0: I've really been enjoying being able to worship outside when the weather permits. It's there's just something nice about it, and um, even though we're kind of spread out more, but I will say that the wind especially can add some extra challenges. Um, but I, you know, we're professionals up here, so so you may not want to try this at home. You know, we may look at make it look easy, but it's not. Um, When COVID first hit, I noticed um, on different places, Psalm 91 kept coming up. People would use it, um, online prayers, and I saw sermons based on it. And I wondered, did anyone else kind of notice that Psalm 91 was just seem to be the, the, the theme psalm for the, the new pandemic? And it is... Um, it's a great psalm And I think it's one that we can find comfort in it's, Psalm 91 is a prayer for seeking protection When you're worried about dangers That's the essence of what it's, it's doing And we can find comfort in these promises And especially when it says not, in verse 6 You will not fear the pestilence Or verse 10 No plague will come near your tent like, Naturally this would be the one we would pick out Uh, But when I kind of saw that, my mind went back to a book I read, I think probably in college or maybe seminary, um, called The Shadow of the Almighty, based on the title came from Psalm 91. But it was written by Elizabeth Elliot. And she was writing about the story of her husband, as well as his three friends, Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udarian. And they were, as a team, they went as missionaries to South America. And they wanted to reach a people group who had not yet been touched by the gospel. This was, this was in the 50s. And so they made elaborate plans to, to reach into a group. At the time, they were called the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Um, they later found out that Alca was the name the enemies gave them. They, they called themselves the Hurarani. Indians and they so and this is on the Cura River in Ecuador. And they um, gave great thought to how to approach these people who not only had no no attachment to the gospel, but had never even encountered made any inroads to the western peoples. They were known as, as savage and violent, and so many were afraid of them. And and so they initially just started flying over the territory. And they tried to make contact by by dropping things like gifts, and they would when they sighted some. And they even had a little system where they could fly in a circle and lower a basket, and they made contact with um, one particular member of the tribe along the riverbank. And um, so they finally got to the point where they felt like it was ready to to make personal contact. So. Um, not all is known about what happened, but they, they flew in and they landed along a sandy riverbank, and um, all four men were killed by the tribe, speared to death along the river. And that was in 1956, and it was it became worldwide news. Um, and when Jim Elliott's wife kind of told the story. She told it in context of Psalm 91. And it makes me think about the promises of Psalm 91 about you need not fear these dangers. He will protect you. He will watch over you. And the question I want to pose and to think about is the Psalm 91 over promise? Can we really trust what this is saying? How should we understand it? And sometimes it can be read, and has been read, to say that those who are Christians, those who are truly faithful to the Lord, that we will be exempt from the troubles and dangers of this world. Is that what Psalm 91 is teaching? In a sense, can we name it and claim it? That, well, we just don't need to fear that danger. We will never face it. So, there's three problems that come if that's how you take it. One is, it leads you to question the goodness of God when inevitably you are disappointed when when things do go wrong in your life. When the dangers of this world do touch your life or someone you love and care about. And it causes you to question, did God fail me? That's one problem that arises from thinking it like that. Another one is maybe on a little larger scale, is it, it causes people to question the reality of God. Was these promises in Scripture just false comfort meant to 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 give calm give peace to the, the easily frightened who are afraid of the dangers of this world and And no, there's no real God behind it, but they needed that promise to help them get through the day. So it leads to questioning the reality of God. And then the third thing it could lead to is questioning the person's faith. Well, God didn't fail. You failed the promises. You didn't really hold fast to the Lord. So there's something, if you had stayed faithful, you would have been protected from these dangers. So I think it's important we look closely at what does it really teach. How should we understand it and, and dig into it so that we can trust in God and, and trust in his word. So it starts off in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. First, you it clearly is showing a relationship with God that goes beyond surface belief, right? This is talking about a a connection with God, abiding, dwelling in. It's it's being rooted in a relationship. Sometimes you'll see on TV, the, the priest or the pastor will tell someone, you know, when they're facing something, oh, just have faith, you know, just believe. I I hate when those things come up in movies. Because I think faith is, this is more than just the surface faith. This is deciding that God is your refuge, your fortress, your rock that you will cling to. It is about placing yourself under the authority and care of God. That you decide to trust him no matter what. To to go to a different psalm, you know, another one people find comfort in is The Lord is my shepherd, right? Well, that has two components, and I think we focus on one. The one component is God is looking out for us as a shepherd. We like that idea, right? To have, you know, no matter what happens in my life, I have a shepherd uh, watching out for me. But the other side of it is, is, have you placed yourself under the care and authority of that shepherd? Are you following him? And to say the Lord is my shepherd implies both aspects not only that god is watching out but they, that we are following trusting putting ourselves in that kind of relationship so i think that's the vision we see in 91 the first couple of verses i will say to the lord my refuge and my fortress my god and whom i trust so then in verses 3 to 13 it highlights the different dangers that we will face different dangers and fears. And it uses it from two or three different arenas. The first is hunting. It talks about um, delivering you from the snare of the fowler. The fowler was a hunter of birds, okay? So, and it it says he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings. So it pictures you as a, a young bird, Under the care of your mother bird or father bird who's stronger and can protect you from the dangers. So it it sort of flips the hunting idea, right? Instead of us being the hunters, we are the ones being hunted. There's dangers out there, fears, and we can place ourselves under the wings of God our Father who can protect us from all that. And, And it talks about the two sides of that, right? You will not fear the terror of the night. So you can imagine if you were a small animal worried about predators, right? And it's, it's nighttime, and you can't see, and you're huddling where you're at, and you don't know what's out there that can come get you. Sometimes fear is like that, the unknown that can that feels like it can come out of nowhere. But then there's the other side, the arrow that flies by day, the arrow of the hunter, the danger you see coming but don't know how to get away from Sometimes fear hits like that. You see it coming at you, but you, it's pursuing you, it's chasing you. Both of those fears says the Lord can be our shelter, our protection. Then it switches to the disease image, right? Um, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that wastes that noonday. And again, there's a a night and day theme, you know, the the pestilence. You get a disease and at night you're miserable and you're wasting away or or you're, you're, you know, you catch that and you wake up with it. Or or during the daytime you feel like you're wasting away with this illness that keeps you bedridden. Um, So there's verse 7. I have interpreted to be a third image. I'd say when I approached this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, starting to think about it, I thought, oh, it's, it's giving an example from battle. And that has been how I've seen it in the past. A um, thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. So I, I envision that being, oh, you go to battle, and though everyone else is killed, you'll survive. I've sort of rethought that. Um, I think now it's actually extending the disease image further. And the reason I've changed on that is I look at verse 8, where it talks about the recompense of the wicked. Um, in the ancient world, disease was seen as, as a punishment of the gods. And so I think it's still on the disease metaphor, but but it, it's saying again, you know, though everyone else gets it, it's really talking about a, a plague, right? A plague that is sweeping through, and it seems like everyone's getting it. And then it's saying, but if, even if all else does, you know, you you will not fall. God will hold on to you. What's your greatest fear? You know, is COVID the the fear, the danger you fear most right now, or is there some other physical danger out there that 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 grabs your heart? We all face these dangers and fears at times. What do we do with them? Verse 9 and 10 says, Because the Lord is your dwelling place, no evil shall be allowed to fall you, no plague come near your tent. So again, there's the the theme of the, the hunting, the evil that's pursuing you, or the plague, the disease that's threatening you where you live. That God is... God's power, the Lord's power, is able to protect you. Then it moves on to the Lord has servants at his commands that he can, can extend that protection. So it talks about um, he will command his angels, his servants, and it gives three things that they will protect you from. One is accident. They will guard you so that your, your foot doesn't strike a stone, right? protecting you from accidental injury. I looked up for, for all people, accident and injury is the third leading cause of death. For those under 45, it's the leading cause of death. You're most likely to die for, for young, young adults under 45 of accident or injury is the most common cause of, of death. That's a fear. It goes on to say the two other things are lions and serpents, or then young lions, it sort of repeats it, young lions and adders. So a young lion would be an especially aggressive lion. They're hungry. They're out to get you. They're ferocious predators. And then the serpent, um, or the adders, the poisonous serpent. So they're the dangers that sneak up on you. Yeah. And you, you think, I'm not truthfully terribly worried about lions, at least here in, uh, I, I'm still new to upstate New York, right? There, there aren't lions out there, are there? Okay. Bears? Okay, so ba- all right, yeah, all right, there you go. But um, I'm not, and, and even serpents, I've seen a couple snakes since I moved here, I don't think any of them are poisonous, not terribly worried about them, but, but you can almost think of them as the, the opponents, the enemies that we fear in our life. There's the ferocious kind, the kinds that aggressively come after you. They're chasing after you. They're going to get you. But then there's the other kind of enemy, right? The kind that sneaks up on you. That if they, if they get near enough to bite, they have the poison to, 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 to bring you down. It's raising all these fears and saying that in that relationship with the Lord, that we can be at peace through them and it highlights what we can rely upon, that we can rely upon God through through these dangers, through these fears. And so I have three questions. Is God able to protect us from all these physical dangers? Yes, absolutely yes. God is able. He has the power to protect us from all of those. Question two. Does God often, Protect his people from these types of dangers. Yes. And I, I i bet a lot of you have stories. I know in other churches I've been in, people have stories of <laughs> So use always one. It's like, this happened to me, I should have died, somehow I lived. You know, right? Those things that you know God did something to, to save you or preserve you. We believe that God often does. Is so good to us in protecting us. Question three: Does God always protect us from these physical dangers here and here on Earth? No. We can always come up with examples of faithful believers who trust in God, but die prematurely. So when something bad. What does that mean? Does does it mean that they failed to hold fast to the Lord? That they didn't have enough faith or else God would have protected them? No. It's interesting. I I didn't realize this at first, but as I I looked into this. Psalm 91 is quoted in the New Testament. But it's from a a surprising place. In Luke chapter 4, the devil takes Jesus to the highest point in the temple, and this is in the midst of the temptation that the Satan, the devil, is trying to lead Jesus to, to go the wrong direction, tempting him to do wrong. And, and he says, why don't you just jump off this, the highest point of the temple, which would certainly, in normal conditions, lead to his death. And that's when the devil quotes...
1: Psalm 91, he says, for the
0: angels will keep you from bearing your foot from striking a stone. In other words, the devil saying, you can have this absolute guarantee that you won't be injured. So why don't you do this? And how impressive would it have been if Jesus arrived in Jerusalem that way? Like, do you think people would have believed him and listened to him a little more? You know, if he would have showed up by just drifting down from the top of the temple? would have gotten, you know, that would have been a good way to start off his ministry. But, But Jesus says, no. It also is written, we shall not put the Lord to the test. And that's, I think, the clue to how we think about Psalm 91. God is sovereign. God is in charge. His wisdom is higher than ours. And when it comes to how he will protect us and guide us through life, we cannot put him to the test. We have to ultimately trust. He knows what protection we need better than we even know ourselves. And so the Son of God says, Psalm 91 is not an absolute promise that nothing bad will ever happen to you. That's not what it's meant to be. Followers of Christ are not exempt from the troubles of this world. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. I I noticed a parallel between Psalm 91 and Jesus' message to his followers in John 14, 15, and 16. Um, John 14 to 16 is kind of Jesus' last words to his disciples before the cross. And they're afraid they're rightfully afraid cuz Jesus has told them what's going to happen to him that he will be crucified that they're going to come for him they're wondering what will happen to them they're wondering how they live life if he's gone if he's if this happens to him and so Jesus is speaking about the dangers and fears that they're facing and then but the parallel we see with Psalm 91 is the emphasis is on the dwelling place just like in Psalm 91 the word the dwelling place of god comes, comes up over and over again. So in John 14 he starts off by saying, you know, you're afraid of death. But you trust in god, you can also trust in me. And and when your time comes, do not fear. I have a dwelling place for you already in my father's house there are many rooms and And when your time comes, I will come and bring you to be with me. You need not fear death, because you have a dwelling place already. He goes on to say, the Father and myself, through the Holy Spirit, for anyone who puts their faith in me, says we will come to him and make our home with them, our dwelling place with them. He makes us his dwelling place as we walk with Jesus. In John 15, he uses the word abide, at least in some versions. It's also remain or live, but I like that word abide. It's that sense of living there and staying there, right? And he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. You need not fear that I'm going to leave you. It says, if you abide in me.
1: And he also says,
0: my words will abide in you. And this is abide in my love. So that theme of dwelling place. And Jesus is saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to fear that. And he ends this message. With John sixteen thirty three, where he says, I have told you all these things, meaning John 14, 15, and 16, so that in me, in this relationship with me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have troubles. We are not exempt from the dangers of this world, troubles of this world. But, I have overcome the world. told you these things, that me, you will have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, who's speaking, back to Psalm 91. Who is speaking in Psalm 91, verses 1 to 13? If you go back to that, and you look, it is the psalmist, the writer of the psalm, is speaking to us, to us who are writing, right? he says, he who dwells, so he's he's talking about making it open to anyone who's reading this. Um, And he's, you know, verse 5, you will not fear. So the psalmist is telling us about how to pray about the dangers and fears that we have. But there's a shift from verses 13 to 14. There's a shift in the narrative voice. In verses 14 to 16 the lord himself speaks i think that's significant and so in in the the last three verses the lord spells out the promises he is making so the first 13 it's us speaking out our fears our worries our you know the, facing the dangers it's us praying but in 14 to 16 it's god's reply Here's what God says. Here's what God promises. I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. With long life will I satisfy him. I will show him my salvation. God makes those eight promises. So, do we have the right to claim those promises for ourselves? Well, what are the preconditions? It says if you've made the Lord your dwelling place. It also says if you've held fast to me in love. That says he who knows my name. Can we then claim these promises? Not on our own. We've not lived up to that. We've, we have may at times, you know, come to God, but then we go and seek our own way. We, we enjoy the love God has for us, but we don't hold fast. Instead, we begin to love other things, even things we're told not to love. And... Yeah, we might know his name, but we bring dishonor to his name by the way we live. On our own strength, we cannot claim these promises. Friends, here's the gospel: is through Jesus he gives us to them, gives them to us. Anyways, through Jesus, he instead of us making his dwelling place, he makes us our dwelling place. He dwells within us. He. He brings the promises into our life, into our being. He holds fast to us in love. Even though we, like sheep, have gone astray, we go our own way. He holds on, even when our faith is weak. I think of the disciples the night after they heard all this message and they came to arrest Jesus. All the disciples were scattered. Their fear got the best of them but Jesus held fast to them even when we could not hold fast to him. And then lastly, even though at times with our life we dishonor his name, he gave us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. He gives us his name. We are sons and daughters of the king. So those core promises, we can claim them because of Jesus. And each one of them, He fulfills. He delivers us from guilt and sin. He protects us from the accuser who would, who would bring judgment into our life. He answers us. We can bring any prayer to Him and know that He will hear us. He is with us in trouble. He is with us always. He will rescue us from our inner sin and brokenness that would destroy ourselves. He honors us. He calls us his own. Calls us friends and followers and disciples. And not only with long life will he satisfy us, he will satisfy us with eternal life. Life forever in the eternal kingdom. And lastly, he will show us, he has shown us his salvation as he gave his life upon the cross that we might have life in him. So now followers of christ are not exempt from the troubles of this world we don't have some special status that oh you're a christian i guess nothing bad will ever happen to you but it does mean no matter what we have these promises in christ that we can cling to and he will cling to us that we abide in him so why doesn't god just exempt us from all those troubles wouldn't that be great? You know, once you become a Christian, you'll never need to fear anything like that again. You'll you'll never get sick. You know, you, you won't catch COVID-19 because well, he is Jesus, he can't catch it. Um I think because how we face the dangers and fears of this world shows first of all it builds our faith. It how we face our fears leads us to trust in him through these challenges through these troubles and even more they testify to our faith if we were exempt from the dangers of this world the world would not be too impressed with our belief but it's when we face them we go through them with a confidence that the world cannot understand because we know that ultimately we're in him. When we do that, Lord, friends, it gives us the chance to testify how good God is to us. So I invite you, put yourself under the care and protection of our Lord. Think about I have my closing questions. When's a time when you faced When's the time when you had to trust in the Lord through danger and trouble? Think of that time, and how did that give honor to God? How has the Lord helped you get through a fearful time? Let us, friends, brothers, and sisters, let's put ourselves under the care and protection of our Lord and Savior. Let's make Him our Lord and peace. Father, I thank you that we can trust you. No matter what we're facing in this life or in this world, we know you. We know your love for us. We abide in it. We abide in your word as we we take comfort in what you've you've the promises you've made over us. And we thank you that it is through your son all these promises are fulfilled. We are yours. Amen.